are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio. Only here, lastwordonsports.com. What's up, Internet? You are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio here at LastWordOnSports.com. My name is Matt Pollard, and it is Tuesday, October 18th, 2022. We are recording less than 24 hours after the completion of the opening round of the MLS Cup playoffs, and we are, what, 48 hours to the minute away from the start of the conference semifinals. Joining me now to talk about so many of these things, all the games to recap, all the games to preview, so many things to discuss here at the business end of the season, Rachel Krigger and Jamie Rook. Rachel, how are we? We are cold in Pittsburgh, but we are good. We're good. I um, got my tickets last week for the NWSL final, and I got my hotel today for the NWSL final, so I'm getting excited for that. But very excited to chat MLS because it, ooh, it was a fun weekend. Mm-hmm. Just one bit of NWSL thing. Rachel is someone who is absorbing information via osmosis over the weekend with all the other sporting things going on. Um, Kansas City Current, legit threat or no? So what makes me, and I'll keep this brief, but I'm so mad because all the teams that I care about are on the same side of the bracket. Like I, when the everyone was seated, I was like, oh, I like Houston. Oh, I like Kansas City. Oh, I like uh, O.L. Reign. And then they all got put on the same side. But yeah, I think I think O.L. Reign, they're going to win, but I think Kansas City is going to take them into extra time. And then I hope San Diego blows Portland out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> well said there. And then joining us also, uh, Jamie Rook. Jamie, um, you and I both cover teams that we've known for a while. We're not going to make the playoffs. How have you enjoyed watching all of this unfold as a neutral? Yeah, it's definitely been less stressful not having to yeah, keep up to date as much and not having as much riding on it. But it's always, always a joy to watch the MLS Cup playoffs, whether, whether your team's involved or not. So yeah. Can't complain. I do always enjoy it this time of year. All right. So, listeners, let's get into it. We will start in chronological order with the first round. So, folks, we'll start with the five versus four matchup in the Eastern Conference. This was Saturday afternoon and clearly not a very good time for most of the people in the tri state area who are New York Red Bulls fans who must have had stuff going on to the point where they were disguising themselves as blue seats at Red Bull Arena. Uh, FC Cincinnati win this game by a score of 2-1. to one. Lewis Morgan with an absolute firecracker of a shot in the 49th. And then FC Cincinnati pulls it off in the final 15 minutes. 15 minutes, 1-5. Lucho Acosta with a penalty. And then Brandon Vasquez virtually at the death in the 86th minute. Rachel, I will throw it first to you. Um, a bit of a chaotic game, but ultimately this was going to come down to offensive firepower. And while I think Red Bulls have a more coherent system, we've seen this. It has limitations, and FC Cincinnati had the star players who got it done in the moments that mattered. FC Cincinnati, still doing it four years too late for me, but you know what? <laughs> I will forgive them because they're making the playoffs all the more um, interesting and fun. Um, yeah, Brandon Vasquez is like absolutely star power for them. Like, part of me wishes that he was on 
the U.S. men's national team shortlist uh, to go to Qatar, but I also understand, you know, having some guys who are familiar with each other. But, um, you know, FC Cincinnati, I think uh, Jamie Harvey and I said it last week that this was probably going to be the most chaotic matchup of the first round, this one and uh, SC Dallas in Minnesota, and neither of those disappointed. Um, I, I think Cincinnati... Cincinnati doesn't have me sold 100% on their form, but, I mean, Brandon Vasquez doing Brandon Vasquez things is always going to help that team. And I think Luciano Acosta has been a really good pickup for them um, as well, like you said. A uh, little little worried about the yellow card accumulation that they had uh, in the match. They had a couple early on. I think they had four altogether. Um, but, you know, I think... And, and Harvey will have to forgive me for saying this, but I do think the more deserving team won that game. I, I think that Cincinnati came out in the second half with just a little bit more of a spark than New York Red Bulls. Um, and, you know, that kind of proved true because of how they rallied around the 70th minute. Um, but I, I just think, you know, New York has really good pieces to build around for the future, but I think Cincinnati... I, I don't know, like, part of me is sold on them, isn't sold on them, but part of me, like, thinks, like, wow, this team could go in and, like, I don't know, really cause some some chaos in, in the next round. So, I don't know, it's a good win for them. Always good to see Brandon Vasquez on the scoring sheet, but, yeah, good win for Cincinnati. Uh, just a quick fact check there for you, Rachel. You were correct. Four players from FC Cincinnati got yellow cards. Nick Hagelin and Matt Miazga. So two of the three center backs for Cincy getting yellow cards. Um, Jeff Cameron might be lonely if this team makes it to an MLS Cup if it comes to that point. Or excuse me, a, a conference finals. You cannot be suspended for yellow card accumulation from the final itself. And then off the bench, Ramon Gaddis and Sergio Santos also getting yellow cards. So Philly and Cincinnati turns into basically a, a knife fighter, you know, two trucks just crashing head on to each other in soccer form that could bode poorly for Cincinnati defensively if they managed to advance um Jamie Red Bulls played their style they know who they are they're very good at being who they are but just I I'm wondering if this is just you know absolute proof that no matter what they do the way that they're running themselves at a club they can be very good in the regular season but ultimately they come up short in the playoffs, what did you see from this game, and does this warrant, you know, a proper autopsy on the the Red Bull way in Major League Soccer? Well, on the on their general uh, postseason form, anyway, Harvey last week was was laying out to me and for that how constantly they've they've come up short over and over again, whether it be a game in which they're favourites or a game like this, which is fairly even. They've always they've always failed to get the job done, and then it's a case of this again. They're their biggest issue, you would easily say, is up front. They've always always lacked that focal point in the last year or two, trying to trying to bridge gaps and trying to obviously get a clinical goal score. I guess since, since really, Brad Wright Phillips, Phillips did not really had anyone since him to constantly put the ball in the back of the net and um, had a live Manuel score twice on decision day, but uh, can't exactly expect him to start firing every week and obviously didn't this game either. And in Lewis Morgan, they've got, whilst a very good attacking piece, not exactly someone that can do it on his own. And when you talk, yeah, you talk about the the Red Bull style of play, it's something which attack, uh, attracts a lot, of, a lot of praise for its effectiveness, but maybe not for its, uh, how easy it is on the eye. A lot, of, a lot of people aren't a huge fan of watching the Red Bulls play. So I think uh, the neutrals won't be too disappointed that, Cincinnati are the team to advance it. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see 
where where they go from here really because it is a case of they finally not finally but they keep advancing they've had a better season than than usual and then it still amounted to nothing really a, a first round exit against a Cincinnati team which yeah in the past have been have been spoon winners so it's 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 a question a lot of question marks for the Red Bulls about where they can go from here and yeah what is next when obviously yeah they're they have a few holes on the field and even when they've got these star players like like a Lewis Morgan they're not able to deliver when it matters well said there, Jamie. Lewis Morgan's great. I really like Lucinius, even though obviously he was on poor form going into the playoffs and he wasn't a difference maker on the weekend. I, I'm not sure if you offered, I think if you offered any FC Cincinnati play, fan, you can trade any one of Vasquez, Brenner, or Acosta for either of those two players. I don't know that I find a Cincinnati fan that makes any combination of those trades. I'm pretty sure, especially Jamie, with what you just said about the striker situation, if you had a choice between what Red Bulls have and either Brenner or Vasquez, you would take either of them in a heartbeat. And I'm not sure, I guess, other than maybe the stylistic difference that Red Bulls are good with wingers in the way that they press might be an argument for where Morgan's a better puzzle piece than Luciano Acosta is. But uh, again, I, I think if you ask any Red Bulls fan, you could trade Morgan or Luquinhas for any one of those three players. They would take any one of those trades for the most part in any combination. I think it highlights that Red Bull's system is very good at them basically running a U23 team plus being, as we just found out over the weekend with the updated MLSPA salaries that you can have, you know, that they can spend slightly less, maybe have one difference maker when it comes to the final third, and for the most part, be very good against opponents in the regular season and finish in the top seven in the Eastern Conference. But then you get into the playoffs where the other teams also have a high level of intensity or hyper-focused are um, you know, very, you know, prefer to not make any mistakes in those moments. And then you have an opponent in, and then the New York Red Bulls prey on creating opponent opposing teams, making them uncomfortable and then capitalizing off of those mistakes when you're playing teams in the upper third of Major League Soccer that have that star power and are dialed in and aren't prone to make those mistakes that clearly now this team has a ceiling where they go from now, given where. You know, New York lies on the priority list for the the Red Bull mothership, I think is a very valid question. Um, let's move on. LA Galaxy get the job done against Nashville SC. Obviously, this game was a matter of, uh, you know, LA Galaxy who had come in, who had been a better team in the stretch run of the season, played their way into the playoffs, got 10 of their final 12 points, I think, and then basically taking on Hani Mukhtar and a bunch of friends. Uh, um Jamie Smith, not Jamie Smith, excuse me, um, Gary Smith, Jamie, was uh, not available for this one. He had some illness, and so assistant coach Steve Guppy was on the sideline for this one. Rachel, I'll throw it to you first. I, I thought LA Galaxy outplayed Nashville, other than, you know, um, you know uh, other than Jonathan Bond with that rollout that almost fell to Teal Bunbury for a tap-in. Um, I thought they surrounded Honey Mukhtar and limited him. I think he had six touches between the box and zone 14 combined, and Nashville didn't have anybody else that threatened you, and LA Galaxy were good in transition. They were golden in their wide plate, and it was just a matter of when they were going to get their opportunity. I thought the Chicharito goal should have stood, but Julian Araujo was the difference maker in ways that Honey Mukhtar was unable to do with his role-playing around um Rachel was this just a matter of the team with the the better team beat the team with the better player that's a tongue twister um I think you <laughs> I think you summed it up really well um and and I just 
have two points to make. Number one, thanks Nashville for busting my whole bracket. Um, really appreciate you sending me out strong in the first round. Um, and and also, I, I think you said I think you said it whenever you said that you know it's really Haney Mukatar and friends. I'm I'm surprised with how quiet Randall Liao has been. Um, this season. And then of course, you know, Walker Zimmerman, he, he plays very well, but there's, you know, there's only so much a center back is going to do. I mean, he's not going to be leading you in assists or in goals or in stuff like that. Um, so I guess I would say his playmaking is a little bit more limited than somebody who's like a midfielder or a winger. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the galaxy outplayed Nashville. I think they were definitely the more deserved team. El Trafico, uh, for a, uh, conference semifinal round is is certainly going to be entertaining um but I'm just Nashville needs to go into this offseason Gary Smith and company with how do we build around Haney Mukatar not just how do we I guess it's not as much supplementing him as it is like finding people that can play with him it can't just be one guy on the team because as the LA Galaxy showed us this weekend that doesn't work because once you cover him well, you pretty much take him out of the game. So I, I think they need a little bit more from uh, Randall Leal. Um, and then they need to find some more attacking pieces to complement and to um, help out Haney Mukatar because it can't just be on the shoulders of one guy. Mm-hmm. Jamie, two questions I'll throw to you. What does this say in terms of a, a, a post-ops, you know, mortem on Nashville season? What does this say maybe about also, you know, I, I don't, I think it's harsh to completely criticize Hani Mook. Well, no, I think it is fair to criticize Hani Mukhtar, given that we saw so many other star players rise to those critical moments to be the difference for their team. And we didn't see that for him. What does this say about him? And then also Nashville and maybe their dependence on Hani and now kind of Similar to FC Cincinnati, LA Galaxy play their way into the playoffs. They get a really good win and everything. They're coming up against El Trafico. Do you see them as a viable giant slayer? Well, f- first on the national point, I think, yeah, there definitely is a, an over-alliance on Hany Mukhtar. When you look at Austin, for example, with his his rival for the, the MVP, Sebastian Jerusi, as good a player as he is and as big an impact as he's had this year, you've still got Musa Gites coming to the team well. Diego Fagundes is a former Revs player and a very experienced head in this league. And there are those sort of pieces in and around, even like Maxi Ruti. So Austin's team definitely have more, is is some of their parts as opposed to just um, Juicy. Whereas with Hani Mukhtar, it previously was all about that partnership between him and CJ Sapong. And then Sapong's obviously, he's, he's not maybe lost his goal score in touch. And now, now they're turning to to Teal Bunbury and then Randall Leal is not a not a regular goal scorer, so there's definitely a an over reliance on Hani Mukhtar. So I think whilst they're they're probably yeah, you probably can criticize them. I think more of it is placed on the fact as as Rachel and you said that there is there's just too much work for him to do and it's fairly simple really from the Galaxy's point of view. If you mark out the game, they're not gonna carry that much attacking threat because as good a player as Teal Bunbury can be on his day, he's not gonna be able to do it all alone up front. And then to the other point, I think, yeah, it seems given their their history in the league to to label Galaxy the Galaxy's possible giant slayer seems odd given <laughs> given what they've performed like in the years gone by, but that has been the case where they've had their own peaks and troughs this year and like it ha- hasn't been smooth sailing under Greg Fanny and the big turn point as many people have alluded to is 
really the, the arrival of uh, Ricky Puj in the midfield from Barcelona, who's supplemented Chicharito well, who's added that 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 flair and that star power alongside and behind Chicharito to be able to allow him to thrive more and allow the team in general just to be a, a more cohesive unit. He's, he's, uh, most Barcelona fans were, were singing his praises and were hoping he'd get the chance and then I'm sure they're not surprised at all to hear that he's doing what he's doing in MLS, even when it is scoring scoring these goals that he has scored. It's more about more about what he's doing away from that, more in the in the build up and off the ball as well. So I think I think yeah, the Galaxy are definitely definitely a team to be feared. And then when you look into the next round, the whole debate is over whether teams would rather be playing in the first round and then have that that match confidence of winning a playoff game. Whereas obviously LAFC and Philadelphia, this is this will be their first taste of the playoffs this year. Whereas obviously the Galaxy are coming off of a win in the postseason. So there's the debate there which which a team would prefer. But um yeah, from whether you like it or uh, hate it as a fixture, um this LA Derby always always delivers drama, whether it be through Ibrahimovic or Carlos Vela or whoever else. So it will definitely be a yeah, a game worth watching and it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if the Galaxy did advance. I think I probably will be tipping I I will be edging towards the Galaxy to advance out of this one given this end of the season form they've shown and then how well they dealt with Nashville and the chances they'll have to do the same against LAFC. Well said there, Jamie. You know, I think for me, I, I'd be hard-pressed to... There, there's no other game in the first two rounds of the playoffs that I that I think there's more anticipation or excitement zest around than this El Trafico match. And I would be hard-pressed for any com- any combination of matchups that I could see through the end of MLS Cup that would make me more excited or, you know, more interested to tune in than this El Trafico game. Obviously, I'm going to watch the final. I'm going to be excited about the final regardless of who's ultimately in it. But I mean, even with what we were talking about in the last couple months with the narrative around Philly versus LAFC and maybe the differences between those two teams and the roster builds and how they've gone about themselves this season or over the course of the last couple of seasons, I'd, I'd maybe slightly edge out a final LAFC hosting Philadelphia Union. Maybe it'd be the only other matchup that I could see the rest of this playoffs that I'd be more excited for than El Trafico. Just a few other things that I want to say about the LA Galaxy. Um, I think it's Xavi who came up with the cliche that um, that the the result is an imposter. And so even though I think the LA Galaxy didn't totally dominate Nashville, they weren't world beaters in terms of a number of chances that they created. I think overall this performance shows how much this team has changed. If you compare it to where they were at the beginning of the season to how much they got the secondary transfer window right, Brugman and Ricky Pooch were exactly what this midfield needed and everything. They've done so much to better facilitate what they're doing in the attack put the wingers in a better chance to create chances I still think this team is a little one-dimensional from a goal scoring standpoint in that actually in the box against a really good defensive team it's basically Chicharito or Buss or it's the chess master Dejan Jovalik in uh, coming off the bench as well. Obviously, they got some secondary scoring from Julian Araujo. I think they'll need a little bit more of that. I don't know that Chicharito and Dejan, even if they start up top together, could single-handedly keep up with the firepower if it's Vela, Arango, and Bale on 
Thursday, but I think the midfield can absolutely compete, and I think the midfield does enough in its shape and how the team possesses the ball to really shield away from what is still a very distinct defensive weakness, particularly on set pieces now for the LA Galaxy, and I think that could be enough to where they're going to be able to be a threat. You know, Cincinnati, clearly their defense is a weakness. If they're going to win these big playoff games against a Philly, a Montreal, or an MLS Cup, they're going to have to win games 3-2. All three of their stars are going to have to be able to click. I think they figured out enough in the midfield to shield out their biggest weakness and simultaneously be a force multiplier on their biggest strength, which is what they've done in the attack around Chicharito. And for those reasons, I would probably lean towards that LA Galaxy are a bigger threat to LAFC, especially given the rivalry situation, than Philly is threatened by Cincy. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Rachel, I want to throw it to you for one Really quick question. You've been very good as the female on the podcast to comment on fashion style and then men and then uh, players in MLS getting their glow up. Julian Araujo and others with uh, the pink hair. Thoughts? Uh, it's not my favorite. I'm not, I'm not a fan of the brightly colored hair. I don't like the, the platinum white or the, the bright pink so I, I would say leave it to Megan Rapino. Okay. Okay. Well, um, well, Julian got that in, so I guess maybe he could go something darker now. But I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know, Rachel. Maybe how, how often does how often does Pino get the get the hair done? Because I know, I know it, it, it was it, fading it, it out fading a little out. bit yeah, towards fade, the end of the last World Cup. I don't know. Yeah, she's fading. She had that like uh that like green on the one side and the pink on the other side that I wasn't really feeling. But the the 2019 World Cup hair, she needs to. She needs to bring that back. That's iconic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think once you, like, Araujo committed to it, and, you know, MLS Cup is on, what, November 5th, so we're talking, what, three weeks away, three Saturdays from now. I don't know that the hair is going to grow out and it's going to fade enough. Maybe he gets it touched up. Maybe you do a different color. Um, I guess you could go from pink to, like, maybe blue and then yellow through it if you wanted to do galaxy colors. I, I think there's some stuff that could be done with it, but, yeah, it's it's a pretty big commit once you do that, and it, it stands out. But let us move on to, I would argue, the most unexciting of the playoff games that we had. Or excuse me, uh, before we get to Montreal-Orlando, we will go to Austin versus RSL, which was on Sunday afternoon. Um, RSL comes out and makes Austin's life absolutely miserable. They score two goals within the opening uh, 20 minutes or so. Uh, Driussi gets one back in the 31st minute, and then it's an absolute grind for RSL for what was ultimately the final 60 minutes of game played when Rubio Rubin was given a second yellow card for going in late on Brad Stuver after the ball was already gone. And RSL buckled in, and they embodied everything that Pablo Mastroeni stands for as a human being, as a player, and as a head coach. And folks, it almost worked. Austin huffed and puffed. They had a bunch of chances. They had another goal called offside. I think Giussi hit the post. Um, uh, Rigoni, their new winger signing, he could have had a hat trick on another day. And they get to penalties. And, you know, folks, maybe this is just because, you know, I obviously cover the Rapids, so I've seen this. There's history there with Pablo Mastroeni of, you know, Rachel, I'm pretty sure Sounders fans could have been really good therapists for Austin FC fans about, oh my God, here we go again. And Brad Stuver steps up and just says, no, we're not doing this. He stops Brody. He stops Ojeda in penalties. And then uh, Austin is up 3-1 and Schmidt comes up and takes it and he puts it over the bar into the supporter section and everything. Um, 
Rachel, was there a, you know, was there a little bit of karma built up in this? If this game gets played another nine times, does Austin absolutely smash them? Um, you know, uh, you know how, how do we how do we diagnose this game given that RSL was absolutely who they are and they were put in a terrible situation and they were fit perfectly for it and it almost worked? Matt, you silly goose. We don't diagnose chaos. <laughs> What's the matter with you? Um, th- this game this game was very conflicting for me because, as we know, the Seattle Sounders, my beloved Seattle Sounders, did not make the playoffs, but neither did the Portland Timbers. And the Portland Timbers didn't make the playoffs thanks to Real Salt Lake, so I felt like I, I needed to, you know, root for RSL in this one. But also, as a Sounders fan, I can't do that because they've handed us a couple of losses over the years. Um, but I will say this whole game... I pretty much, up until penalties, kept saying RSL deserves to win this game. RSL deserves to win this game. They went down a man, and they held him. They held him really well. Um, But their penalties were probably the worst penalties I've ever seen in my life, and I've seen the Pittsburgh River Hounds and Bethlehem Steel go to, like, 13 penalty kicks at Highmark Stadium. Um, So it was... It it was an entertaining game, but I feel like for all the wrong reasons. I, I feel like officiating was good. I thought the calls on, on, on Rubio Rebean were appropriate. I thought they were correct. Um, Twitter might have something to say about that, but who cares? Um, but I, th- I think that RSL, up until those penalty kicks, really deserved to win the game. Um, they, they were just... they were. I, I don't know if it was they were that bad or Brad Stuver was that good, but a lot of credit has to go to Brad Stuver because he really did stand on his head. And, like, just highlighting him again for a quick minute because the, the new rule change for goalkeepers for penalty kicks, like, it already takes so much for goalkeepers to, to get focused and to be mentally prepared. And, you know, you can only prepare so much for penalties, but then you got to add in, oh, well, you know, got to make sure my foot's still on the line. And, and there's a lot of, of thinking that goes into those, you know, four, five, six seconds of walking, running up to the ball and, and actually taking the kick. So a lot of credit given to Brad Stuver. I thought he really was excellent and he has, he has the chance to be a hero again for Austin against FC Dallas, but um, yeah, I mean that RSL deserved to win that game until it went to penalties. Uh, Jamie, um, how, how do we make sense of this from an Austin perspective? Over the course of the 120 minutes, they created 4.3 expected goals to RSL's 1.5. If we're talking about how they played once they were down two goals, they outdid RSL from an XG standpoint, three to one half. And if we're talking about what they did for 65 minutes up a man, they produced two and a half XG up a man. Should Austin be glad that they overall performed well and created a bunch of chances in their first home playoff game ever? Or is this a wake-up call that you need to finish your chances because they're going to play teams better than RSL that aren't going to bunker, and then that's going to cost you? I think the bottom line has to be that that it's no it's no surprise that the Amnesty playoffs is gonna it's gonna throw up chaos here, there and everywhere. So from an Austin point of view, the goal is to get over the line and get into the next round. And whereas obviously you wanna do it cleanly and in ninety minutes ideally, the fact that they were able to to get through this game against an RSL team who showed last year in the playoffs exactly what they can do against the odds. And so yeah, I think from an Austin from an Austin perspective, it's just a case of 
yeah, should they have got it done earlier? Should they have got it done more convincingly? Should they have saved some of their leg? Maybe, but yeah, and as you said, it adds to the fact that it's their first ever first ever playoff run, first ever home playoff game, and then here they are, they're into the next game. They're still in with a chance. They're what they finished second in the West, so they may well even go all the way to get a home game in MLS Cup if it all goes well and LFC go out. So I think yeah, there shouldn't be I understand the want need to cast out over Austin and to poke fun at them for taking so long to get past his RSL team and having to take the penalty kicks to get there and there was all the there's a back and forth on Twitter between um Felipe Martins and Tom Bogut, <laughs> which was quite entertaining as well. Which I I really didn't understand what uh, Martins's point was. I thought it was all quite odd, but that's just that's almost seems to be part of Austin this year is that they have a no one likes us, we don't care attitude. Which although probably isn't true because fair few neutrals probably quite enjoy watching them play, me included. But yeah, they are they're trying to build this siege mentality, and it's obviously working because yeah, they had such a good regular season. They've got a player of the quality of Juicy, and they can beat anyone on their day so if you may call this an off day in front of goal and they still got the job done think how they'll perform in the next round when they're fully firing and doing better so yeah, I don't think I don't think there's much deep negativity in terms of us and I think it's just winning on to the next one uh, Jamie I know you're you're still relatively new to MLS but there was uh, for the first couple of years that Adrian Heath was the head coach at Minnesota he was kind of the the meme of you know drawing up the nobody believes in us kind of narrative in terms of his internal locker room regardless of what was going on in the media and so he would call out extra time I think he went after Grant Wall one time as well in order to try and build this as well um, you know I think it's something Neil Warnack or maybe Harry Redknapp would absolutely be proud of, but yeah, Felipe Martins is absolutely stroking the, um, you know, no one likes us, we don't care. And maybe it's a, I think there's a level of it's fabricated or certainly blown significantly out of proportions. But if it's what he needs and what his team needs in order to make it work for them, I think that's totally fine. But, you know, at the same time, like it's the no one believes that it's like, no, we expected you to absolutely dominate RSL when you were up a man in the 52nd minute. The fact that you didn't win it in 90 minutes is the disappointment. Like we don't doubt you. We're just disappointed that like you were so good and you didn't end up doing it. And somehow I'm sure Felipe, if you're listening to this now, you're going to have a vendetta against me. And this is just further proof of the media bias that's against them and it's Austin versus everyone um and so you know absolutely enjoy that Felipe um I want to give a moment to uh Real Salt Lake and give them credit for the way that they've handled this season on a whole and the job that Pablo Mastroeni has really done in the last what year and a half as the head coach they had some injuries in this game Aaron Herrera I would argue their most important defensive piece was unavailable for this game Demir Krylach has not been healthy for the majority of the season is all at all they were clicking early on in the season and they were you know top three top four in the western conference had a little bit of a dip in the end but as you mentioned rachel against portland they were able to play their way into the seventh seed and what they've done from a results standpoint given the amount of spend that they have given the new potential that i think is coming in with new ownership and everything the commitment to spend more how much better that they've done 
you know, at the turnstiles um, in uh, Sandy, Utah, I think is, you know, a really good testament to the players, to the front office, obviously what Pablo Mastroeni has done. Um, they don't play pretty soccer. They played a way that was effective for what they had, given the injuries and given some of the other limitations that they had. And darn, it almost worked. And if Rubio Rubin is smart and pulls up on this one, I think there's a very real possibility we're talking about RSL winning this game 2-1 and absolutely pipping Austin in this one. And you think about what they would do next year, potentially with another DP coming in, potentially with a fully healthy roster, Demir Krylach coming in as well. And, you know, implementing that, I think there, I think there's a very clear art. The other teams that we've talked about that have been eliminated, you know, we talked about Red Bulls and it's like, this is who they are. They're not changing. And so it's just going to be more of the same possibly. And with Nashville, I think they really need to reevaluate what they're doing in order to try and pivot and be better. RSL, I would say just keep doing what you're doing, but do it better and continue to build on what you've done. And I think that's something that's really exciting to see given what that market was and given what the ownership situation was two years ago. Let's move on to the least exciting game of the opening round for me. Montreal winning a snoozer 2-0 against Orlando City. Um, I thought Orlando had the better of the play in the opening half of this game, but ultimately Montreal gets two really good chances and they bury both of them. Uh, Kone with the goal in the 68th minute and then Orlando starts to open it up and then uh, Montreal is able to draw a penalty in stoppage time, which Jordi Mihailovic ends up converting on and a sold-out Stad Saputo went home happy, even though they weren't necessarily entertained. Um, Rachel, you're kind of still our in, former embedded Orlando person. What'd you make of this game and what does it mean for how Orlando's season ended open cup, notwithstanding? Yeah. I mean, they, they made the playoffs kind of by the skin of their teeth um, and they won the open cup. So I think they'll take a little bit of solace in this season, knowing that they, they did that. I think Orlando's had a lot of injuries this year. Um, they've had a lot of rotation with their roster. So I think that they were just kind of going with tired legs into the playoffs. Um, honestly, watching the game made me think, hmm, is this what it would have been like if Seattle made the playoffs? Um, but I think, you know, Montreal, I don't remember if it was Harvey or um, Jamie last week, but we were actually talking about Georgie Mihaljevic and how we were, you know, he had this ridiculous form um, during the summer and, you know, he gets that, that move, um, to Europe, um, in, in the winter, but then he kind of has fallen off a little bit. So he got the assist on, on the first goal for Kone and then he got the penalty, um, late in, in second half stoppage time. So, um, good win for, for Montreal. I was definitely expecting a little bit more from them because everybody has really been hyping them up going into the playoffs. But yeah, I think for Orlando, they just, you know, they go out with their heads held high. They they fought till the very end, and I, I think for them, they take solace in knowing that they have the Lamar Hunt Open Cup, and they'll be going for uh, going for a chance a chance at the CCL Trophy now. Um, Jamie, let's talk about Montreal, who've kind of become they're like a an indie like off brand version of what Philly have been. Similar, you know, like the team is the star they play well as a collective they have to grind out results as well they don't have like a distinct you know I guess Jordi Mihailovic would be that one player but you don't think of him as you know a big DP acquisition like a Carlos Heel or a um 
you know, or a, you know, a Sebastian uh, Driussi. At the same time, I thought Montreal was sleepwalking through this game. Maybe it was just a matter of, you know, the fact that, uh, I'm not sure, maybe it was the layoff that they had. Maybe it's the fact that they knew they were kind of locked into the playoffs. I'm not sure what to make of this game, but I know, I, I think it'll be more of an obvious wake-up call, and I think they'll be taking NYCFC very seriously. But, but what did you make of their performance? And, uh, um, you know, should Ishmael Kone be getting way more hype than he's gotten? Coming into this game, I think it was it was pretty not easy to call us unfair and on Rando, but on last week's podcast I was like illustrating the point as firmly as I could that this is this is the game that seems like it can only go go one way, no matter how Montreal performed, they got the result and it was as to be expected. As Rachel mentioned, Orlando have had the energy issues, particularly um at centre back and that that shone through again with uh, Montreal coming out on coming out on top once they eventually started to turn the screw and what a nice move that was for the first guys proper show of what can be done but although it may not have been the best team goal of of the week with NYCFC's goal as well so which we'll touch on later but yeah I think um for Montreal as you say NYCFC are the team that line wait next and that'll definitely be a tougher test and. That would that would be one where it'll be a lot harder to call. N- neither side is necessarily a heavy favorite in that, and yeah, I think um, you made a good point with they don't really have that that recognized star power. Whereas obviously Mihailovic is is a very good player in this league, and Kone and someone like Wanya- Victor Wanyama is is an experienced player, and Kai Kamara is a, a legend on the on on these shores on your shores. Um, so it's it's a case of yeah they've got a very good a very tight knit unit from the looks of Underworld and Nancy who are who are constantly working well for each other constantly cheering up every day and delivering even as you say they may not have had the most convincing performance and convincing result but they still got the job done and then yeah in terms of Kone he was a, a massive bright spark in this game and has been for a while I think it was. Uh, Watford and Sheffield United of the Championship who were chasing them keenly right down to the final day and it was uh, the Blades in particular were pushing for it if Sanderberg was to move on but he's still there now and uh, it seems their interest will will be revisited in January so yeah Kone definitely has a lot of suitors and as Rachel said Mihailovic is off to uh, the Netherlands so they're, they're, they may lose a couple of pieces but um, yeah and Kone in particular looks at, at such a young age, it looks so so calm and composed, and uh, we'll have a bright future with the uh, Canada national team. Let's move on to the games that we had on Monday. We had some Monday night football. First, NYCFC hosting Inner Miami at City Field. That finally got settled, much to the chagrin of uh, Neville and company. And this looked like vintage NYCFC. You could have pulled up highlights from this, and I would have thought that it was last year going into the playoffs, or I would have thought that it was earlier in the season with Tati Castellanos. Um, and uh, the head coaching staff still fully set in. 3-0 to the Citizens, Pereira in the 63rd, uh, Maxi Morales in the 69th, and then Bear in stoppage time in this one. 
Uh, they outshot Inter Miami 27 to 12. They outshot them on goal 9 to 4. And to the extent that we care about XG here, they had 2.9 XG 2.6. So you'd figure a 3 0, 3 1 victory in this one. Um, you know, Rachel, did, did, did NYCFC suddenly wake up, or is this just confirmation based on what we saw on decision day that Miami, for all they did to get in the playoffs, clearly had limitations defensively? Yeah, I think that's that's what it was. Like you said, flashes of old NYCFC. Um, yeah, I just I think it was too much for Inter Miami to handle. I think that they were thinking too many things, you know, about the location and everything. There was too much too much chatter going on, not enough uh, focus on the soccer. So I think that Inter Miami just kind of. I don't know. Maybe they went in with a little bit more bravado than they they thought they could deal with. But I don't know. Phil Neville loses in a knockout round. Where have we heard that one before, right, Jamie? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I think that New York City FC, um, I, to be honest with you, I haven't been sold on them at all this whole year. So I'm not really sold on them going into um, a match against uh, Montreal up in the Great North. But I don't know. It should be... I think that one's going to be a snooze fest too in the conference semifinals, but um, New York City FC showing that, you know, maybe, maybe they don't need uh, Tati Castellanos in this postseason as much as, as much as everyone thought. Jamie, um, obviously um, Gonzalo Higuain played his final game on a baseball stadium against a team that, you know, has dude wipes as their shirt sponsor. You know, that's a pretty good video that was circulating on social media of his kind of emotional reaction there on the field that I think shows how much he was emotionally invested and the arc that he had in terms of a player from, you know, beginning of the season and the quote he had about, you know, being able to score goals without even running with a cigarette in his mouth to the player that ultimately he became to help Miami become successful I think is worthy of praise I think at the same time you know I have to wonder um you know just uh, you know did Phil Neville turn this into was he more focused on winning the battle on social media than he was um about this game and is this just an indication that kind of similar to Red Bulls maybe to an extent Nashville and RSL that just they're another one of these teams that was built good enough to ultimately make the playoffs but that clearly they still have a lot to reevaluate in terms of their their roster build and everything but Jamie your, your thoughts on Miami's exit maybe the poor performance Gonzalo Higuain and if this just is a further indication that uh, Phil Neville's got the yips. Starting with Higuain, and a lot of people, myself included, were were pretty critical of his first year or so in MLS. It looked as if he wasn't that interested and as if he'd signed up for a decent contract and a stroll in the park. It wasn't quite what he expected. And I think, as you said, it's hugely commendable the way he has not just given up and settled for it as a chance to earn some easy money. He's really dug in, clearly bought into the, the project of Phil Neville, even if there have been bumps along the way. He's become a, a significant piece in that team, and I'm sure, yeah, they'll be sad to see him go, and it's, it's not the way you want to see a player go out of, of that ilk, but yeah, in tears after such a such a strong career. I saw the thing on social media comparisons that he's just a matter of days older than Karen Benzema, and whilst Benzema's willing, winning that, Ballon d'Or that he so deserves. Higuain's getting dumped out of the MLS Cup playoffs, so it's quite a quite a shift and quite a shift in careers there. But yeah, Higuain definitely a a great asset to that Miami team, and 
they'll miss him. And then from a wider point of view, I think, yeah, there was always there was always issues with this team, even when they were performing well, even when they were getting the results. It was never a case of, oh, it's all sorted and they've got that perfect 11 or even that perfect 18. There was there were certainly holes, particularly at the back. And yeah, that clearly shone through here against a very strong NYCFC team who will who will now that they are yeah starting to look like they're getting back to old now with Nick Cushing at the helm, uh, are looking like a, a team that could cause a lot of issues. So it's no real shame, I don't think, in losing to a team like that when you so when they have the holes that they do when they are lacking maybe the leadership's the wrong word because they do have some experience in the back the likes of Kieran Gibbs and uh, DeAndre Yedlin amongst others but there was just yeah the the lack of maybe that one Walker Zimmerman Miles Robinson esque defender who is who is who can change the game on his own from the back and maybe that's something they'll look for as well as a Higuain replacement going forward and whilst as Rachel alluded to I've always been a always been quick to get on Phil Neville's back I think what he's actually done this year is very impressive and very commendable. I think Welsh, yeah, this is the end of the road for them, for them here. I think I wouldn't be surprised if they're back in the playoffs again next year with someone like Leo Campagna picking up some of the further slack and continuing to thrive up front for Miami. Mm-hmm. All all good points there, Jamie. Just one last thing that I want to say. I, I think I speak for all of us and probably most of people in MLS that we're tired of NYCFC playing in baseball stadiums in the five boroughs. It is wonky. It's not conducive to a good atmosphere. Their fans don't like it. Uh, clearly, Phil Neville and his players didn't care for it or didn't care for the difference in the scheduling. Jamie, I know you're not much of a, a baseball guy or anything, but the reason why this game wasn't at Yankee Stadium is because the New York Yankees were playing in the baseball playoffs against the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, funny enough, the game that night was rained out and was played earlier today at time of recording. So somehow you had a lot of rain in New York City and you had in the Bronx a baseball game in a baseball stadium that was rained out and could not be played. And then you had a soccer game played at another baseball stadium in Queens, New York, that somehow was allowed to go on. How much of that was just a function of there being grass over the dirt as opposed to, you know, the mud fest that I'm sure the infield was at Yankee Stadium? I'm not entirely sure. But um, it's not conducive to good soccer. It's not good from a competitive standpoint. It's clearly a logistical nightmare for NYCFC who have to play, you know, at, you know, this problem isn't going away. You know, it's not like City Field is going to be vacated by the Mets. It's not like the Yankees are leaving the Bronx anytime soon. And Red Bulls are not building a new arena to then vacate RBA. NYCFC is going to continue to have to juggle around between these three different venues. And there might be one random game, depending on scheduling, where they have to go up to Connecticut or play somewhere else. Or play at, um, you know, the Columbia University's, um, you know, football stadium. Uh, this needs to be resolved. I realize that's not that's no small feat. I realize that's not happening anytime soon. It's not like NYCFC is about to announce a new stadium and it's going to be ready in three to four years or anything like that. But uh, I think from this has to start be an issue from a competitive standpoint because NYCFC's played what maybe. Over the last 18 months, maybe a dozen games at City Field, they're very familiar with it. I'm not sure there's another team in MLS that has played multiple games there. Now, maybe, you know, some teams, you know, the revolution with how long 
you know, they've been playing NYCFC. They play, you know, a game at Yankee Stadium every single year. But, you know, Inter-Miami is two to three years old and everything. They weren't fitted for that. They weren't prepared for that. You know, Rachel, you know, Seattle Sounders can't randomly come in one day and decide to make the pitch dimensions from being their maximum. I think um, CenturyLink's what? I think it's the standard 120 by 75 to the smallest dimensions just because it suits them. And NYCFC are able to do that because every single venue that they play at has a natural different dimension due to the setup. And they're used to it because they have to deal with this every single season and every single week to where they're familiar with NYC. They're familiar with City Field or Yankee Stadium and how they play differently between those to where how they would play at Red Bull Arena. But, you know, you have a, a single game knockout playoff game. In that situation, you know, what if NYCFC ended up going to MLS Cup? And what if the Yankees were still in the playoffs at that point, to the point where you have a baseball stadium hosting an MLS Cup final? That'd be an embarrassment. Or, you know, even more hilariously would be all of the memes that Harvey would be sharing if NYCFC ended up having to host an MLS Cup at Red Bull Arena. Um, And so I think as much as Phil Neville wanted to gripe about that and say how it was a logistical issue, I think they have a right to argue that it was absolutely competitive advantage and one that's not acceptable because NYCFC hasn't done the job of what every single other team in MLS has had to do in narrow down a regular and predictable and known quantity from a stadium standpoint. My ranting aside, folks, let's move on to the final game of this playoff round. FC Dallas beat Minnesota United in penalties in this one. But first, folks, we have to talk about the most exciting thing that happened in the first half, and that was the camera crew on FS1 getting a beautiful shot of a FC Dallas fan munching on a taco. I have found on FC Dallas's website under the dining section. This is referred to as the Monster Taco. It is a crispy 12-inch flour tortilla, and it is filled with shredded barbacoa, shredded cheese, diced tomato, sour cream, hot sauce with lettuce on the side. Rachel, scran or not scran? What is scran? Oh, oh, you just offended me and Jamie here, Rachel. It's a it's a British term for cheap, rather simple food that you get at a sporting event. So, so hot, hot dogs, dogs would be scram, scram. Popcorn, popcorn would be scram, scram as well. well. Um, um, you know, the various meat pies that you can get throughout the English football league at the various stadia, at the various grounds would be scram. Meat pies? Uh, you know what? I've, I've offended Jamie enough. I, I will walk back on it. Okay, okay. Jamie, I'll, Jamie, I'll throw it to you. You have to have a better understanding of scram than clearly Rachel does. What do you make of this? Would you eat this thing at an FC Dallas game? I think for a, for a football game or a soccer game, it's quite something. It's yeah, as you say, the the standard meat pie or pasta. And over here is is something quite quick and easy to eat. So someone of that size and the amount of filling it had is worth it. Hats off to the the guy involved. Saw saw a photo recently of a like a posh like chicken dinner that Arsenal were serving, and not quite <laughs> not quite the same. But I still yeah commend this guy and I think yeah definitely definitely I would I would scram that tackle most definitely Absolutely. I'd have to be, you know, I'd, I'd agree with you, Jamie. I'm normally, I'm not a big guy who eats at sporting events in general, unless like I'm coming from work, if it's an early kickoff or something. So it's normally like, a, you know, it's a beer and then maybe a snack or, you know, something like a meat pie or something like that, um, you know, a roll or something, and then maybe another drink at halftime. So I would definitely, I'd have to show up to the stadium hungry probably. And that's probably something that I get pregame munch on for a good amount and then probably take bites throughout. And then maybe, you know, if I get there 
30 minutes before kickoff, let's say I get the actual taco in my hand 15 minutes before kickoff, I'm probably done with it by halftime, but it's a, it looks like a big monster to actually deal with. I guess to your point, Jamie, about something that being easy to eat and, you know, like the meat pie just coming in a tin or, you know, being handed or, you know, in a wrap or something. The fact that it looks like it came in like a cardboard box, almost like a pizza box. So it looks like it's something that'd be good for like actually sitting down, having in your lap and properly eating in ways that, you know, maybe a, a hamburger or something that doesn't have, you know, a base or something would be would be an issue, certainly. But let's get to the actual game itself, folks. Um, kind of a tight half in the first half, you know, a few chances here and there. But as I tweeted out um on Twitter during the game and everything, the 53rd minute hit, and then the uh, MLS script writers decided to hit the chaos button. Emmanuel Reynoso scoring on a counterattack against the run of play to get Minnesota the lead. And then less than 10 minutes later, you had Quignon. I, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name, folks. Q-U-I-G-N-O-N. I know he's um, I know he's Spanish because his first name is Facundo, so I'm not sure what to do with that. He scores on a double header that's flicked on by Matt Hedges. And then it's back and forth. And I thought overall, FC Dallas was the better team. Dane St. Clair stood on his head on multiple occasions. He made some really good saves on David Ferreira. I thought Paul Ariola on another day would have had a goal as well um, you had that sequence where the ball gets brought into the touchline and then it gets deflected straight to Jesus Ferreira right in front of goal he takes a poor touch it falls to Sebastian Legette who has his back to goal and then he tries to back heel it and then it's saved on the line rightly not called the goal good save by Dean St. Clair but then you know it goes to extra time and it was all FC Dallas but Minnesota was holding their own um, and then ultimately it goes to penalties and I'll be honest folks kind of similar to the RSL game I was kind of banking on Dane St. Clair has been absolutely fantastic. I think Minnesota takes care of business. I think Dane St. Clair makes a save. But, you know, credit to Emmanuel Poss, who made the save on Will Trap. And, you know, out of the 10 kicks, uh, ultimately it was FC Dallas advancing by a score of 5-4. to four. Uh, Rachel, I'll throw it to you first. Um, you know, what did you make of St. Clair and Reynoso's performance? And maybe does this say something about where Minnesota's at, given the dependency that they had on both of those two players in the two boxes? Well, I think that a lot of it goes back to what we said about Nashville earlier. You need to find some players that will complement them and not just, excuse me, not just, you know, put the the burden so much on Reynoso and um, on Dane St. Clair. And I think more of that burden does go on Reynoso because he's their goal scorer. He's kind of their machine. Um, but I, I mean, I was impressed with FC Dallas and, you know, I couldn't believe it when, when the commentary team of, of John Strong and Stu Holden were talking about, you know, the MLS playoffs and the history of it, there have been two teams that are, are at the top of the list for the most, um, playoff appearances, but, but most, um, they, they didn't make the MLS cup final and that's New York Red Bulls and FC Dallas and FC Dallas, you know, how many times did they say it last night on the broadcast? It's a young team. It's a young team. It's a young team. They really build off of their academy. Um, and they, they made some moves this year to kind of bolster what they have in their academy. They brought in Sebastian Legette and in hopes to revive him from New England. And it certainly looks like they have um, Paul Ariola from DC United. I think that FC Dallas is moving in the right direction. So I, I appreciate the team um, for all that they do on the academy front. And it would be nice to see them get a little bit of success this year. Um, they're probably the most, uh, no offense to your LA Galaxy there, Matt, but I think they're the most likable team in, in the MLS Cup playoffs. Um, 
So I, I think that FC Dallas had a really good performance, um, definitely had some flashes of youth and an experience. And even from some of those guys who are veterans who haven't maybe played in the playoffs all that much. Um, so it's it was a good showing from them. And, you know, I think, and we'll talk about this later, but I think really the one to watch in the semifinals in both conferences is going to be Dallas and Austin. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I just thought in this game, you know, this this game was kind of a microcosm of, I think, both of the team's seasons where I thought FC Dallas played really well. They were a comprehensive team, all 11 players working together. They created a bunch of chances for their very good attacking players, but at times they had trouble finishing. You know, Paul Ariel on another day gets a brace in this game. I thought Jesus Ferrer was really, really good in this match despite not scoring. I thought, you know, other players created chances around him. Uh, Sebastian Velasco, I thought, was absolutely fantastic in the midfield and then especially the chances that he got from distance including that set piece that Jane St. Clair just barely got there before the ball did in the top corner top bins um you know was good but you know Dallas played really well doesn't really have a distinct match winner you know to your point Rachel like if if I gave you a choice between any one of FC Dallas's players and anybody else in the Western Conference in terms of match winners that they have I'm not sure that you would take an FC Dallas player over the main player for anybody else you wouldn't take anybody on FC Dallas over Carlos Vela you take Driussi over any of their players as well I you know take your pick between Chicharito or, or Ricky Pooj I'm not sure you're selecting any Dallas player over the choice of either of them so don't get me wrong Ferrer is great Velasco is great they have a very good defense and everything but again they're kind of they're a collective team with potential stars and potential match winners but not a guy on the caliber of a Reynoso of a Driussi where you can just simply say we're going to put numbers behind the ball and anytime we get the ball we're going to get it out into space and then it to this guy in the final third and he's going to take us home and Reynoso almost pulled it off and To that point for Minnesota, I think it just showed with the ways that they fell off in the final two months of the season when Reynoso got hurt of just how Reynoso dependent they are. You know, I I just... Adrian Heath rotates through strikers. They're not really effective. Franco Fragapane and Robin Ludd are really good backups, but that doesn't mean that, you know, if Batman's away on vacation, I would not feel safe in Gotham City if it was just Robin that was running things. And so I think that's unfortunately what Minnesota ran into. Credit to what they did defensively and how they tried to absorb pressure and everything. And look, I think if, you know, <laughs> the fact Dane St. Clair has to feel so bad because he gets Penanka twice in penalties. He almost gets a foot onto one of them and then to go out like that I think on another day I think you replay those penalties nine times out of ten I think St. Clair makes at least one save and Minnesota gets out of it but I think it just shows how much of a flawed team they are and while I don't know that Dallas's ceiling is there they were the better team and I was happier that just like with the RSL Austin game that the team that played better soccer, the team that tried to be the protagonist that wanted to go for the game and ultimately was better and more aesthetically pleasing, ultimately ended up winning. And in that regard, I would say whatever karma was there in um, in penalties, I thought was was fairly cashed in on. Um, Harvey, I'll throw it to you for the next question that I have, you know, kind of on that note, what do you see as Dallas's ceiling and everything kind of similar to, I think there's so many similarities between Austin and Dallas. Um, They're playing each other. Both had to go to extra time and then penalties both outplayed the opponent and then both got a bunch of chances, but weren't able to finish. How do you see that from a Dallas perspective? Harvey isn't here, but I'll, I'll take this one. Um, yeah, I think Dallas will. Um, yeah, the 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 style in which they advance, obviously the Velasco Penanka is always always a classy touch and always writes the headlines. But it's just again 
a sign of the development this team has had as you both alluded to they are a young team and everyone likes to talk about it but it is true and then they have the more experienced pieces especially you've got the duo of Ariola and Jet who obviously have been in the US MNT fold and they know what they're doing at this stage of the season um but yeah I think uh as you mentioned as well Matt the lack of a lack of focal point of a proper strike really and but also said how well Ferreira performed and that is as often the case, he has some question marks around him when it comes to the national team for the World Cup because he's, well, a good goal scorer. He's not necessarily an out-and-out scorer. Sometimes he's 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 dropping deeper and linking up the play. And with that one chance, he he wasn't exactly feasting there. But, um, yeah, it's a case of, yeah, just, I've said it before and I've said it again, it's just a case of advancing onto the next one, no matter how pretty it is. They, they're at home, they win again and, yeah, they've got the prospect of a of a Texas derby coming up around the corner, which will which will definitely be enticing. And yeah, it's always it's always good to to get it done on penalties. Always all five of them getting getting it in the back of the net as well. So yeah, I think I don't have much more to add to add to what you two said. To be honest, I think yeah, Dallas are a team a team to like and a, a team to fear. Last one that I have on this, folks. I have found the price of the Monster Taco. Supposedly, it cost $15, and that's with everything all included. Um, Jamie, for reference, if I'm converting that based on the currency right now, that comes out to a little over 13 quid. Rachel, is it worth it for this taco? Absolutely. I Give me two. Okay, I absolutely agree. Um, you know, Jamie, I know food pricing, at least in the United States for sporting events is less fan friendly. They tend to be overpriced because they're, uh, uh, you know, because they have a captive audience. So I think that's probably different from your usual what you get. You'd probably get a decent meat pie at most grounds outside of the Premier League for what, four or five quid. But, um, you know, assuming you're taking a flight all the way to Dallas and everything, would it be worth the extra 13 pound to, to get this thing? Yeah, I've heard, as well as hearing a lot about uh, some of the various cities in te- uh, Texas and how good they can do with, with a barbecue at their disposal. So yeah, I definitely definitely would be investing heavily in something like this. It did look very enticing. Mm-hmm, absolutely. All right, folks, uh, let's move on to the actual MLS Cup playoffs to come. First of all, this coming Thursday, we've got a doubleheader. Philadelphia Union, who got a bye as the top seed in the Eastern Conference, will be hosting FC Cincinnati. Um, Rachel, normally we would say Philly's a better team. They're better defensively. But Cincinnati had two really good games against Philadelphia. Can Cincy win this? And if so, does it need to be a shootout? Do they need to win this game like 3-4 in extra time? In Brandon Vasquez, I trust. Um, I honestly, I think Cincy can pull the rug out from under Philadelphia in extra time. Um, I I think it's going to take 120 minutes, but I don't think this is going to go to a penalty shootout. Um, I think there are going to be some tired legs for sure, but I mean, I don't know. I just, I feel like Philadelphia has this curse hanging over them that the Union can't, can't quite get there, but and of course, Union are going to be missing out on Alejandro Bedoya, who, you know, he's getting older. He might not be as much of a presence on the stat sheet, but he's a huge presence, a huge hole um, to to miss on the team. So, uh, and Brandon Vasquez, I trust, and Pat Noonan, I trust, and and I'll, I think Cincinnati is going to be able to pull off a major, major upset. 
Okay, um, just one, uh, looking up the stats now, folks, uh, Philly and Cincinnati played to a 1-1 draw back in June at Subaru Park, and let me see if I can find when they played at TQL Stadium. This was a rare um, multi-goal loss for Philadelphia Union, who lost 3-1 to to Cincinnati. That was all the way back in August. Um, Jamie, you know, what do you see in this game? You know, Philly on good rest and everything, since he has to be feeling good, given that Lucho and Brandon Vasquez went off in this one. Um, you know, and this is a matter is this a matter of Cincy's biggest strength in their front three against Philly's biggest strength, which is their defense in Andre Blake? Well, in terms of the matchup in general, I think I share pretty much all the sentiments that that, that Rachel put down. The Cincinnati team, they are they are strong going forward and it's always going to be the the attacking threat that they've got to look for most and they will they will face a real battle against arguably the best goalkeeper in this league and he has been for a few years, Andre Blake, so it may be a case of him having to pull off six or seven very impressive saves to get the union through, although they do have one of, if not the best defensive line in the league in front of Blake, so it's whilst he's a very good player, they do have Elliot and Glesnes and Van Wagner as well all doing the job in front very competently indeed. So I think I think with this yeah, with this Philly team it's it's so strong all over the park that Whilst they also may not have an out and out star as such, they are they are so good as a unit. Although Daniel Gazdag may be to some, they are so strong as a unit that yeah, it wouldn't surprise anyone how how high they can reach. And then from the Cincinnati point of view, it is that well, some people may have thought oh they've 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 broken the jinx of always being the bottom team and gotten to the playoffs. How special is that? They can that that's that. Whereas they probably think, oh, why, why stop now? We can keep going, keep going all the way, and yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they, they did spring, spring a surprise on, on the union and overcome them. I think it's yeah, two very strong Eastern Conference teams, and I wouldn't be surprised by either outcome. But I think that the union have that extra rest, and they haven't had to wait too long. Whereas in past years, there's been a couple of weeks layoff for the, for the teams top in their respective conferences. Here, it's only a few days which is probably perfect and even even if Bedoya is absent they have they have the quality all over the field from front to back to to continue to deliver under Jim Curtin and quite easily win that last cup. I think Duke come in and are going to be hyper-focused in this one. They've got the fresh rest. They know that this team, they know Cincinnati, what their strengths and their weaknesses are based on the two games that they played against them earlier this season. And you look at Philly the last two years that they had. You know, they won uh, the Supporters' Shield in the COVID-shortened season and then were one and done in the playoffs. And then last year, you know, outside, you know, if they don't have a COVID bid, I think there's a very real possibility we're talking about Philadelphia hosting and winning MLS Cup against the Portland Timbers. And even then Bethlehem Steel plus Andre Blake, you know, almost pulled it out against NYCFC. I think Philly and LAFC, both in having not won MLS Cup, even though being very good over the last couple of years, see this playoffs as them having unfinished business. And then Philly more so because they haven't won anything yet. At the very, you know, LAFC could get destroyed against LA Galaxy on Thursday and they could still say, well, we want a supporter shield. We want a major trophy and everything. Philly on paper hasn't won anything. So I think they're going to be hyper locked in. I think they're going to be really good. And I think Philadelphia Union on their best day could wipe the floor with FC Cincinnati. And I just, I don't see how FC Cincinnati with all of their firepower is going to be able to score given what Philly is going to be able to do vis-a-vis the defensive 
unit that Cincinnati has. With that, let's move on to El Trafico on Thursday night. We have a red-hot LA Galaxy taking on, you know, it's funny, Jamie, that you made a joke earlier about the LA Galaxy being a giant slander. I've kind of been jokingly referring to, you know, Gareth Bale comes over from the Galacticos to LAFC, so we're LAFC trying to pull their own LA Galaxy, you know, qua- you know, star kind of situation or anything. But, you know, we look at it again. LAFC coming in, they're going to be on rest just like Philadelphia Union. Gareth Bale hasn't played a whole lot. Is he ready to where he could start but maybe not play the whole 90 minutes? I think there's a lot of really interesting questions about how LAFC will approach this from a starting lineup and planned sub situation. And I think LA Galaxy coming in, come in knowing that they're feeling really good, that if there's any team that LAFC would be scared to lose to, that would be terrified of the backlash that's going to come if they don't win MLS Cup and who they lose to, that LA Galaxy he would be the worst one in that situation and all the pressure is going to be on LAFC because they're at home because they're supporters shield winners the last time these two teams played each other LAFC won that game and that was also at the Bank of California Stadium and you know I feel like in every single game that these two teams have played there's never been really any game outside of maybe the the games after the first year of the rivalry after the first game because then Zlatan proved he could single-handedly win those games and then that was hanging out in the background for the games that followed that season. Every single other game, it feels like LA Galaxy come in as the underdogs trying to prove themselves against the new um, noisy roommate from up the road. But, you know, Rachel, what do you see in this game? You know, what's really key? How much of this is form of the LA Galaxy versus the the star power of of LAFC? And is Los Angeles going to start a riot on on Thursday no matter what happens? I mean, what a what a matchup getting El Trafico, but on a Thursday night, oh, it's so weird. Um, I, I think that LAFC is definitely the favorite, just given the hardware that they have with the Shield. Um, I think that I don't know. I think LA, LA Galaxy they they looked really good against Nashville, and a lot of people were touting Nashville as one of the favorites heading into the postseason. So I'm sure that LA Galaxy have a lot of confidence under their belts by knocking off the kind of almost undisputed fan favorites. Um, so going into, uh, you know, it's a short commute, so there's going to be a lot of time for them to rest. Um, so I, I think, but I still think that LA, LAFC, too many LAs, <laughs> LAFC is going to have the upper hand just based on on the form that they've had this year. I, Jamie, like, just what do you see in this game? You know, I just, I feel like this is... Uh, Jamie, if there was any rivalry in any game the rest of the season that could top that Sheffield United game 3-3 with four red cards, it would be El Trafico. Oh, most definitely, yeah. I feel like to let any any one nil or one one in an El Trafico is just it's just out of the question. It doesn't happen. There's there's always goals, there's always drama, there's, there's I think it's a fascinating matchup on the sidelines too, with the Greg Vanny who has that it factor in MLS and proven it and Years gone by, and whilst I said before, it's maybe not been the, the smoothest time so far in LA. He's starting to properly get get it going, and then on the other hand, you've got Steve Trandlow, who is a, a new manager to the league, and he's got quite a quite a rare a rare, a rare squad on his hands by the fact that he's he's this this unknown quantity, whereas he's got such icons of the game at 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 his fingertips really and he's got such big players, such big personalities to keep happy and so far he's he's clearly done a good job of it as as is shown in, in the supporters' shield win and it wouldn't be as far as really if they went on 
and got to the MLS Cup playoffs, but I think uh, MLS Cup final, sorry, but I think, yeah, the Galaxy are somewhat underdogs, which seems weird to say, and a lot of the pressure is not isn't on them as the away side, and yeah, that any anything could happen in this game, which is always the beauty of it, and yeah, they'll have that that confidence, as Rachel said, having knocked off Nashville, uh, a team that a lot of people had faith in, and yeah, and then you obviously go into the questions of these stars, Chicharito versus Vea, I think another interesting one it could be Douglas Costa against Bale. Two different situations, but similar in the fact that they they were big names over in Europe. Neither of them have delivered in MLS so far for very different reasons. And so this could be the chance. Bale hasn't had many minutes, but could step up here. Costa's played and underwhelmed for the most part. And so what better time to do it in, in the derby, in the, in the playoffs with a, a conference final around the corner. So yeah, I think it could could definitely go either way and the Galaxy winning this one wouldn't come as a shock at all. Yeah, basically the only thing, Jamie, that would really surprise me is just a low-scoring game. It feels like every single time these two teams play, it feels with goals. You know, I, I think the the only thing that I wouldn't bet on happening is probably nil-nil to penalties would be that. And in that regard, I would say, you know, that's what I think makes this rivalry crazy as well. You know, we've seen one-nils in the Hudson River Derby. Um, you know, Rachel, I'll give credit. Cascadia, it feels like it's always full of goals and everything. But, I mean, you know, this game's going to be insane. Like, there could be, like, literally nothing would surprise me there's no outcome outside of I think a massive blowout because you know this game's with the exception of I think I I think it was MLS is back and maybe one other game when the LA Galaxy were just in the in the gutter where LAFC just absolutely rolled over them but I I don't I I think it's more likely that LA Galaxy comes out and gets a multi-goal multi-goal victory just smashes them from a performance standpoint given the run of form that they're on than LAFC but I don't see that happening that's not what I'm predicting folks but anything could happen that's why i'm so excited about this one no result no scoreline again other than nil nil and then the penalties would really surprise me i think this is going to have goals i think it's going to go back and forth i think it's going to be a proper derby and i can't wait for it even though my blood pressure probably is not excited about this game let's move on to the games that we have on sunday cf montreal hosting nycfc um rachel what do we see in this game and given how these two teams historically have been, and given how the first round games went for both of these teams, are City a favorite? I, I think that this one is kind of going to be the sludge fest. I think it's going to be the one that goes to penalty kicks. Um, I don't think it's going to be the most entertaining game to watch. Um, but to be honest with you, I, I favor Montreal in this one just because they're at home. They have shown that they can sell out. Um, a stadium, um, and I, I very much like the play that Georgi Mihalovic has right now. And I think that if he could stay on the on the skyward up, then he'll then they'll be in good hands. Um, Kone has been playing really well for them, so it's not just one guy um, having to do all the heavy loading here. Um, but I, I think I'd favor Montreal in this one, and and just because. I don't even know. I just think that Wilfred Nancy's a better coach too. Jamie, I mean, I think this is the, and again, I, I realize in me asking that question the way I did, I kind of suggested that I'm maybe doubting Montreal in this one, but that's usually when they're at their most dangerous. You know, they are the Uruguay of 
Major League Soccer. They're the Atletico Madrid. You know, what do you see in this game? Um, and NYCFC getting back to their old farm form, do they present new threats that maybe weren't obvious to us two weeks ago? Well, starting with CF Montreal, and I thought coming into the playoffs anyway, from my perspective, they were they are the team I've put in my bracket to go all the way and win MLS Cup. And I think that I thought that their path would be until obviously reaching most likely Philly, it would be pretty straightforward. I thought they would roll over Orlando as they did, and I thought they'd do the same to NYCFC. But then that game in in the last round from NYCFC against Miami has almost changed my mind because it's shown, it's shown with such quality on the pitch because there's never been a doubt that NYCFC have have a lot of have a lot of talent in their ranks, even with uh, Tati Castellanos moving on when you've got the likes of Eber and uh, Santi Rodriguez and Alas Magno and Maxi Morales and the list goes on and on. Such great players, such great attacking players particularly. Uh, yeah, there's, there's never really any reason to doubt that on their day they can do unbelievable things in this league. So yeah, I think it could, whilst I, I, see, I see the point of it could end up maybe not being the most exciting fixture at the same time, it's two teams that when when they're when they're on their best flow and form they can play some excellent football and it could definitely be a case of who can outplay who of two teams that, that know how to play well with the ball at their feet. So um on the question of Montreal being underdogs, I'd say probably not from my point of view they yeah, I think the home advantage is obviously unheralded in MLS compared to the European landscape, for example, having to obviously go from New York to uh, the Canada is, is no short trip. Well, so obviously there are much longer trips in the league. And I think, yeah, whilst they'll be used to a long trip, it's a, it's a case of, again, without sitting on the fence, it could certainly go either way. And these are two teams who, yeah, could easily go all the way to MLS Cup. And the last game that we have on the weekend on Sunday, final of the four matches in the conference semifinals, Copa Tejas, Austin FC hosting FC Dallas. You know, Rachel, again, so many parallels between uh, these teams and how they handled that first round playoff game, outplaying the opponent, going to extra time, having to win in penalties. You know, uh, Sebastian Driussi, maybe a slight edge to Austin FC. Also, they have one more day's rest because Dallas played on Monday and Dallas obviously to the extent that this is a road game, you know, what a three, four hour drive or, you know, what a 45 minute flight from uh, Dallas, Fort Worth into Austin. You know, wh- what do you see in this game? And would you prefer that they just turned into a food fight given the taco takes that we've had on this podcast? I, I think this one's going to be the most exciting playoff game to watch. And I know that's hard to say with El Trafico on the, on the lineup as well. Um, I, I just think these are two very young very um, stacked squads going up against each other. I really, really, really like FC Dallas in the playoffs. Yes, we've heard the tape. You know, they're young. They're inexperienced. You know, they've they've lost so many playoff games. But I, I really just... I think if any team can make a run for it with FC Dallas, I think it's this one. Um, Austin FC, I, I love Brad Stuber. I think he, like I said, he stood on his head in the shootout. Um, I like that. I like their players, Driussi, Felipe. Um, they have to be careful a little bit on the yellow card um, accumulation, but um, I think I think this one's gonna be. This one's tough because I either see it as like there's gonna be a lot of goals or it's gonna be like back like it's going to be back and forth like I feel 
you know, Austin scores. Well, then Dallas responds, but then Austin scores again and Dallas responds. So I think, and I hate to do this to the Austin FC fans and the Dallas fans because they both went into extra time, but I think this one goes to extra time. I don't think it goes to penalties, though. Jamie, you know, what, what do you see in this one? Does this turn into a Copa Tejas knife fight? It's, it's certainly the fixture I'd say I'm most interested to see what happens. Both being Western Conference teams, it's not, they're not, I don't get to watch them as regularly given the, the ridiculous times they're kicking off for me but, uh, in in the season. So it'll be, be good to get, get to watch both of them. And yeah, as Rich said, there's a lot of interesting players on the field, there's a lot of interesting storylines about yeah the the interstate rivalry and uh, the new the new kids on the block in Austin who have this year come out come out flying and uh, certainly in contention. So yeah, it could it could well be a feisty one. It could well be a fiery one. Both teams have got the players who who won't shy away from shy away from a physical affair. So I think yeah, definitely it would definitely be one worth watching. And I. I I can't really, can't really see a team being labelled as a clear favourite either way. Um, Dallas are on that day a very, a very confident side, very good back to front with yeah a number of key players that when intertwining can be special. And then someone like Alan Belasco has that has that X factor, and he's not the only one with um, yeah someone like Luis yeah, Ariola and Ferreira. They have yeah a, a, a large amount of capable players, and then. Austin Juicy on his day is is one of the best players in the league as he's shown most of the season. So yeah, it'll definitely be a definitely be an enticing affair. And I don't think it will go to extra time. I reckon will be done in nineteen minutes, but it could easily be high scoring. Um, with that, folks, let's move on. This podcast has gone over an hour and fifteen minutes now, but uh, let's move on to pickums. So for all three of us, I want the team that you have advancing. Uh, the scoreline, and then what it goes to. So 90 minutes, 120, or penalties. So, Rachel, I will start with you. Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, Philadelphia Union hosting FC Cincinnati on the doubleheader that'll be over on FS1. Rachel, what you got? Cincinnati, 2-1, to one, 120 minutes. Jamie? Yeah, I think I'm... <sighs> It feels wrong to bet against Philly and we'll probably be proven wrong, but I'm also going to go Cincinnati and I'll say I'll say two one as well, but in ninety minutes to Cincinnati. I'll say Philadelphia two one in ninety minutes. Uh and let's move on to the nightcap, ten PM Eastern. El Trafico at the Bank of California Stadium. Rachel, who you got? Sorry, Matt. LAFC two nothing, ninety minutes. Jamie? I think Ali Galaxy are going to win. What's the score going to be? 8 7, 7 6. Quite <laughs> possible. Literally anything can happen. So many good attacking players on show. Um, I'm going to go. I'll go I'll go 4 2 to the Galaxy. Chichiru to Hattrick. Okay. I, I like uh, 32 31, Jamie. We, we set a new record for number of goals scored in a game. But uh, on all serious, I, I think extra time. I think 4 3. LAFC, um, I think it's Vela who scores the winner, and I think it will be 2-2 at the end of regular time. And let's move on to the Sunday games, Montreal versus NYCFC. Rachel? Oh, this is going to be a sludge fest. Um, 
give me give me Montreal one nothing, hundred and twenty minutes. Jamie, um, Montreal two 0 in ninety minutes. Another maybe not the most um, sharp form to run a goal, but still getting the job done. NYCFC in penalties after playing 1-1, and I think the the tightest, the least open, and the least number of clear-cut chances of any of these four games. Then move on to the nightcap. Oh, I should point out, folks, uh, the Sunday games, October 23rd, uh, will both be on ESPN for most of the country. Uh, Montreal, NYCFC will be at 1 p.m. Eastern, and then Austin versus Dallas will be at 8 p.m. Eastern. Rachel, Kobateas, what you got? Um, Give me... Give me FC Dallas three to two in a hundred and twenty minutes. Jamie, I honestly don't really have a clue, so I'll I'll just say um, I'll go Austin on penalties after a two after two two after one hundred and twenty minutes with both players both teams having a red card. Ooh, that sounds like the most exciting of the ones there, Jamie. Um, I'm going to go Austin 3-1. It'll be in 90 minutes, um, and the third goal will come in garbage time. So, you know, like Dallas just throwing number forward and then not have anybody in the attack or not having anybody in defense or maybe on a corner in stoppage time where the goalkeeper goes up and then it's cleared and then, you know, somebody passes the ball in from 40 yards out on a breakaway with no goalkeeper back. So effectively a 2-1 victory, but on paper what will officially be a 3-1 3-1 victory for Austin. Um, I think that does it for us, folks. Time for last words. Jamie, anything you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, I think since we recorded last week, my interview with Matt Polster, the article for that has gone live, and that was got a very good response from Revs fans and MLS fans alike. So I was very happy with that. Good way to close out the season. So yeah, stay tuned for any, any Revs talk in the off-season because there's a lot to discuss. The future of Josie Altador being at the heart of it all. Rachel, any last words and uh, tell our good listeners about Icarus FC? I, I will keep my last words brief. Um, first off, go River Hounds. Second off, happy, happy fourth birthday to my niece, Nora. She is obsessed with dinosaurs and Auntie Rachel is very excited. I get to buy her dinosaur stuff and not like foo-foo girly stuff. Um, and then the third thing is that the MLS... Um, Players Association salaries came out, and I just want to say that, and this is no disrespect to any MLS player, but teenagers in MLS should not be making more than women's professional soccer players in the National Women's Soccer League. So that says more about the NWSL than it does um, to MLS. So NWSL, start paying your players more because they are valuable and no more side hustles. Uh, No more side hustles, no more side hustles. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at at Rachel Kruger with two A's in my name, not just one. And Matt, are you tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? I am. (laughs) Are you looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, your Sunday league squad, adult, or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price with the motto, any design you want. Seriously. Let them help you create your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com. And one more thing, Trevor and I are going to be doing a NWSL pod um, ahead of the semifinals. So any NWSL questions, feel free to tweet them at us. Well said there, Rachel. Um, 
Uh, just the well, I guess uh, Rachel. I will say Icarus FC would be a really great option if you're say with a national team that's maybe wearing a mostly white shirt at a big tournament that's coming up. But I don't know. I I don't know what I'm saying on that. Their I'm just making stuff up. Jerseys are even worse. Uh, so um, I will be at the Switchbacks playoff game against Rio Grande Valley Toros FC. Yes, that is a team name in the USL Championship. In case you were wondering, Jamie, it is the USL former USL affiliate of the Houston Dynamo. So I'll be at that game on Saturday at 6.30 p.m. with my good friend Mark Turner. Anybody listening who's down from the Springs, hit me up. I will be there early. It will be a proper afternoon, late afternoon out in the Springs, and I'm super excited for it. Um, first switchbacks game of the season that I'll be going to because that drive down to the Springs is pretty rough and the first playoff game in the USL that I'll be going to ever so very exciting there I want to thank our other sponsor Roughneck Scarves, who are an official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and U.S. soccer merchandise. Get your custom scarves, neck gaiters, or masks for your group, team, or office at roughneckscarves.com. Follow us on Twitter at LastWordSC. Check out all of our content at lastwordonsports.com backslash soccer. And rate, review, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Just search LWS Radio. You'll find us and a bunch of other various content that is being put out from our Last Word on Sports family. Listeners, we'll see you next week as we look ahead to the conference finals.